Hey there, chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat, and welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale. Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. We're just two normal girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. And here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following Crime Chat contains adult content, and I have a feeling we're going to talk about some violent scenarios today, so your listener discretion is advised. Today's Crime Chat is actually a chatter request. Yay! Lorraine Campbell has requested this months ago yeah we're doing it and oof it's a doozy it's a doozy huh oh boy you have been warned (laughs) and before we get into today's crime chat what you done well i have been catching up on some television i've been watching the new true detective on hbo with jodie foster oh you have too okay yeah yeah isn't it great she's season four i haven't gotten there yet i just started season one okay matthew mcconaughey yep yep hot man well I'm a big fan of the True Detective series, and it's been several years since they've had a, a new season out. Mm-hmm. So, ooh, it's great. This one's called Night Country with Jodie Foster. I've never, I'd never watched it before. I'm like, you know what? When I saw, when I clicked on it, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I want to watch this. But then I realized there's three yeah, prior yeah. seasons that I haven't even seen, and yeah. so every season they have a new lead detective, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I love that. Yes, yes. I've also watched the new season of Fargo on FX. I love Fargo. I've never seen that. I gotta try check it oh, out. Oh, it's so good. It's like it's that perfect level of macabre and like mystery yeah. and humor mm-hmm. too. So this one, the lead actress is Juno Temple, and she was in Ted Lasso. Who is that? Is that the brunette? No, she's the t- the the really teeny tiny build petite blonde. Uh, her character was Keely on Ted Lasso. All right. Yeah. But um, so she's really, really good. And it's funny because she's got a British accent. Mm-hmm. So I saw this other video clip where the dialect and like linguistic training that she had to go through to get the Minnesotan North Dakota accent. <laughs> and she did phenomenal. She did super, super good with it. And that, so I, that's a great series also. And that with Fargo, it's the same thing like with true detective it's something new every time they come out with a new season Mm -hmm. it's not the same characters it's it's new people so it keeps it like super interesting new yes yeah new things it's got john ham in it too oh he's hot and he plays a bad guy but is it loosely related to the movie yes it is okay yeah so the original fargo series when it came out Mm -hmm. was probably closest related to the movie fargo which i love the movie fargo too yeah but they've all kind of branched off but it is based on like the original okay. movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And then what I'm obsessed with right now yeah. is Only Murders in the Building. I love that. Have you seen it? Is there a new season out now? Well, I think there's three seasons. I just started season two. Okay. I've seen them. I haven't. There's a new one coming out. I haven't seen that one, but I've seen okay. season one and two. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> I love it. And I love the fact that they're doing everything like for a podcast, for a true crime podcast. I was just like, oh my gosh. And then some of the, the things that Martin Short does on there as far as like, ooh, that'd be a good line. Yes. I'm going, That's us. you know, I'm kind of thinking, I know. <laughs> and then I also, I got me thinking like, we need to go on and do like a live investigation. We do. On something. Yeah. We, we absolutely need to do. And oh, you know what? The funny part is, you remember early on when we were trying to figure out like our audio before we got like the snazzy mics, yeah. we yeah, we yeah. literally considered going in the closet and recording. Yes. <laughs> because yes. it's so hard to get the yes. audio down. Yep. 
I, I love all the celebrities that kind of make cameo experiences too on there with uh, Tina Fey, Amy Schumer, Shirley. Um, she was in Steel Magnolia. Shirley McLean. So they have a lot of cameo experience uh, uh, appearances, too, from other celebrities, which, which sometimes they play their real, like, celebrity status, right. like Sting, mm-hmm. oh. and sometimes their actual characters in the story, which is cool. Love it. Definitely a good series. I love it. So, yeah, that's what it, that's what I've been doing. I've been watching True Detective, but I've been watching okay. the first season with Matthew McConaughey and uh, Woody Harrelson and mm-hmm. two amazing actors – yeah. Putting them together though, it's so funny cuz I love Matthew McConaughey. I think he is mm-hmm. he's just a a gift, a god gift to the world with <laughs> his body, everything, his you know. But All right, all right. Uh, all right. Yeah, so but the, the thing with him is that he has such a slow southern like the way he speaks. Like what do you call that? A slow southern What do you call it? People call that. Like a dialect? It's a dialect, but they call it like a drawl or something. Oh, yeah. Southern drawl. Yeah. He's just got that. And he literally slows down the series because you're waiting on every word he's saying. Right. And he's. But he's very. And he's very intentional with it, too. Yeah. I mean, but that would, that's what makes good actors. So (laughs) true. Yeah. And he actually produces the, the sequence of True Detective like throughout even to the one with um jodie foster now he's still listed as an executive producer is he jodie foster is an executive producer for it too but yeah so talented do you know who's going to be in season two i i don't remember the order but i do know vince vaughn is in one of them oh he's a good one he played psycho Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah he was a great psycho yeah he was he (laughs) was great norman bates (laughs) and it's so crazy because he's a comedian in his normal life and yeah Played a great psychopath. So yeah, that's basically all I did. Well, I know your story today is going to go over Richard Speck, which is the the interesting character that our chatter Lorene mm-hmm. mentioned. Mm-hmm. But I don't know all the details as per usual. I did see though that he had a tattoo that said "Born to Raise Hell." And that got me thinking, we haven't really done much on tattoos. Well, first I was like, I need more tattoos. (laughs) And then the second, we haven't talked too much about it. So I decided to include an article that I found of kind of like popular killers who were known for their tattoos. Ooh. Now, to be fair, honestly, some of these killers that were in this like list that I found are not all that famous that I, or at least that I'm not aware of, but either way, we'll jump into it. Here we go. Okay. Well, the first one is Charles Manson, mm. his unibrow swastika. Mm. During his trial in the 1970s, notorious cult leader Charles Manson carved an X into his forehead. Later, he decided to expand it onto into a full swastika tattoo, and that debuted during a 1981 interview with NBC. Yeah. Number two, Richard Matt and David Sweat. I didn't recognize the names at first, but once I like read the story, I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds familiar. There are two convicted killers who escaped prison in 2015. Authorities did release photos of their tattoos out to the public, like when they were on the run. Mm-hmm. Now, Richard Matt had a Marine Corps logo and an eagle on his right shoulder, a snake on his left, and then two hearts intertwined on his chest. Mm-hmm. David Sweat had the word rebel inked on his left forearm and then the letters I, F, and B on his right fist. This is, the escapees were eventually captured, but only one of them survived the um, whole ordeal. So David Sweat survived okay. and Richard Matt was killed during 
like the recapture. Okay. Do you remember that story? I, don't. I remember it vaguely. No? Mm-mm. Okay, number three, Anthony Garcia's chest tattoo. Los Angeles gang member Garcia was apprehended seven years after committing a homicide when officers spotted his unique t- tattoo. The ink depicted the act itself of his crime a peanut shaped rival being sprayed with bullets at the entrance of a liquor store and that's actually what he did what he was on the run for for like those seven years prior at the top of garcia's chest just above the grisly scene of like the murder in the liquor store a text says rivera kills clearly written above like the (laughs) the liquor store that was tattooed on his chest with a mr peanut man spraying right. it with with gu- rapid gunfire so this is clearly referring to his street gang and captain mike parker of the like like the police force that ended up capturing him said think about it he tattooed his confession on his chest <laughs> <laughs> number four gabriel cardona a mexican cartel assassin and once an active member of the zetas he sported a pair of open-eyed tattoos on his eyelids giving him the perceived ability to sleep with both eyes open. oh boy that's freaky. Yeah. His back also had an image of Santa Muerte or the Saint of Death. Uh. Number five is Carl Panzrams. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He had tattoos on his chest and his arm. The ones on his arm uh, bore a boat's anchor on his left arm. And then on his right arm, he had an anchor with the eagle tattooed and an Asian man's head. The chest, uh, he had two fl- two eagles with the words liberty and justice tattooed under their wings. Uh-huh. Pans Ram lost his freedom when he was arrested for brutal crimes, which he publicly was hanged in 1930. That seems like a really interesting story. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. Pazuzu Ila Elgarod was detained in 2014 after police discovered he violently dispatched, mutilated, and cannibalized two men in Clemens, North Carolina, with the help of his wife. Elgarod is a self-described devil worshiper and claimed to have been named after the demon from the exorcist Pazuzu. I was just going to say that. We went over Pazuzu. (laughs) We did. He boldly displays his cannibalistic tendencies on his face with the tattoos. He had the word cannibal tattooed on his face. And he did die in correctional facility in 2015 by quote unquote an apparent suicide. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Number seven is Curtis Algier, a white supremacist who ended a policeman and then later a prison guard. And he was literally like covered in ink. Swastikas, various angular patterns decorated his face and his neck. Above his eyes, there was the text skinhead Uh tattooed on his forehead. In 2015, Algier lost his right to an attorney because he kept threatening his lawyers and calling them clowns. I don't know if you can necessarily lose your right to an attorney. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't think you can. I mean, maybe he was like, I don't want an attorney, you know, yeah. your, your public defenders are all clowns. I don't, you know, want any public defense. Maybe he represented himself. I'm not sure about the rest of that. It, I don't think you can lose your no, right I don't think so either. to have a defense attorney. Well, maybe it depends on the state. No, that's true too. Yeah. Number eight is David Adam Pate. He was sentenced to life in 2015 for taking a man's life in South Carolina. He has Satan tattooed on his face, as well as gang-related numbers on his neck and symbolic tears around his eyes, you know, with the number of people they've killed. Mm -hmm. Upon the release of his mugshot, the media labeled him, quote, the devil, end quote, due to his surgically forked tongue. Oh, boy. That's a bunch of bad decisions. Yeah. Yeah. That's a... Yeah. And then number nine, 2014 serial slayer William Clyde Gibson got a tattoo while in police custody. At the time, police said they weren't 
sure how he got it because he was in police custody, who gave it to him and exactly when it was applied to the back of his head, but it said death row times three, which was a reference for Gibson on the three separate convictions that he had. However, Gibson only received two capital sentences, so the tattoo is a little bit misleading. (laughs) And that's just an interesting list that I found since we really haven't really covered, you know, kind of tattoo. We've talked a little bit about some of the suspects that we on our podcast that have had tattoos and stuff, but that's just kind of a list that I found. And since our our individual Richard Speck today Mm. had a, a tattoo. He did. He did. And you know what? It would have been a cool tattoo if Richard Speck didn't have it. <laughs> if he wasn't Richard Speck. If he wasn't Richard Speck. Yeah. But there's a meaning behind the tattoo as well, and I'll get into that. I thought there would be, yeah. so there you go. <laughs> yeah. Our crime chat today is a chat of requests. Our beloved Lorene Campbell <laughs> wanted us to do this, and girl... There's a twist at the end Ooh. that you are not going to expect. Ooh, bring it on. You're not going to expect it. Bring it on. All right. Well, let's get into it. If you don't know, Richard Speck was arrested 41 times prior to committing his most heinous crime, a grisly mass murder that rocked Chicago in 1966. He committed one of the most horrifying mass murders in American history when he brutalized and killed eight student nurses mm. living in the Chicago South mm. Side. Richard Benjamin Speck was born in Kirkwood, Illinois in 1941. He was a young boy who had several siblings. His parents, Benjamin Franklin Speck and Mary Margaret Carbeau, had a total of eight children, Mm. five daughters, three sons, and he was the second youngest. After Richard was born, the family would move to Monmouth, Illinois, have, are you familiar with Illinois? Nope. Lorraine is yeah. familiar with Illinois. <laughs> yeah. I, I only went up there when my son graduated from the Navy boot camp. The name of it's ex- escaping me right now, but it's just outside of Chicago. Okay. That's the only time I've ever been there. All right. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go because I am a true jazz lover. Mm. And everybody's like, well, Chicago jazz is the best. I'm like, all right, well, one day in my life. It's on my bucket list. I'll you get there. Um, so he was born in a small town established in 1831. Are you familiar with dry counties? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No alcohol is allowed to oh, be yeah. sold. Like, this is, one, this is one of those. Well, our county here up until just a few years ago, you couldn't buy alcohol on Sunday. We had that here too. Yeah. But they changed yeah. it. So Richard's parents were both very religious and they did not drink and they didn't smoke so this was no no problem for them Mm -hmm. and you know it was a dry town and it was a dry life mom was super strict if dad would go out to get a drink like after work with his friends Mm -hmm. I guess there was like a neighboring town that they can go to and they play pool they hang out by the bar the dad was religious so he wasn't gonna do anything super stupid Mm -hmm. his moral code was good Mm -hmm. but just the hints that he may have had a sip of alcohol mom was like super 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 strict she wasn't happy she wasn't happy. Mama ain't happy. Mm-mm. You know, the minute he came home, he was coming home to a yelling, judgmental wife that was like, you're going to hell and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So Richard's father was a hard worker. He worked as a packer, a roofer, a farmhand, and a logger. Mm, that's a lot. He just did whatever he needed to do for the family. Right. He was a family yeah. man. So he just always had a job right. and, and multiple jobs at once. When Richard was old enough, his father would take him out fishing almost like every day. Mm-hmm. 
And this was something that Richard would later reflect back on and say, like, this was, like, the best times of his life. His relationship with his father meant everything to Richard. Mm -hmm. And his father was a good man. Richard and his father also became very, very close during these fishing trips. But in 1947, when Richard was six years old, his father died from an unexpected heart attack at the age of 53. That's young. It's very young. Richard took the loss of his dad very hard without his father he began to act out in school in very odd ways Mm -hmm. in elementary school other students would say that he would whine like a baby and do things like eat crayons we all tasted that pasty glue or have you ever done the elmo's glue challenge where you cover your entire palm Mm -hmm. with elmo's and try to peel it off peel it off yep yep and get your fingerprints on it right But the teacher would pick him up, put him in her lap, and she would rock and coddle him like she would do a baby. And this is the only way that she was able to calm him down. Mom was also dealing with a lot, you know, the loss of her husband. She was now the sole caregiver of eight children. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine back then, before... 1947 I mean there were there weren't many options for a woman to truly provide for eight human beings right and then to also deal with coping with the loss of your partner it it was a struggle she eventually met a man and she got married pretty quickly and on May 10th 1950 so three years later Mm -hmm. she married a man called Carl August Rudolph Lindenberg Carl was a traveling salesman from Texas who had a criminal history. Oh. It ranged from forgery to DUIs. And guess what? Mom didn't pick him well because the one thing she does not like is a drinker. Mm-hmm. I guess she wasn't dating him long enough to figure out that he was an actual alcoholic. <laughs> Richard moved to Texas with his mom and his new stepdad. Richard didn't like his new stepdad and he began to resent his mother for it. Mm-hmm. In 1951, the family moved to East Dallas and would move again 10 times. Wow. They would always go to bad neighborhoods. They moved 10 times in 12 years. Mm. That's a lot of moving. You're not developing any friendships. I don't know how a kid can just skip 10 different schools. That's a that's a lot of stress for right. a kid. That's a lot. Yeah. The reason why they did this is because the stepfather was a traveling salesman. So he went where the mm-hmm. work was and they always moved to like a bad part of the neighborhood. So he was looking to save money or he wasn't making that much money. I don't know. But during 1952, Richard's eldest brother, Robert, he was 23, would pass away Mm -hmm. as a result of a car accident. Richard began Mm -hmm. at this point drinking heavily, and he was only 12 years old. By the age of 15, Richard was consistently drinking every single day. He was becoming an alcoholic himself. Alcoholic, yeah, yeah. And he would start committing small local crimes like trespassing and he even got arrested when he was 13 years old his first arrest in 1955 (laughs) this would escalate from there he would be arrested for several other misdemeanors over the next eight years Mm -hmm. richard hated carl and carl the stepfather hated richard Mm. carl would say to richard like you you're a gutter rat Mm. like you're a piece of shit you're nothing you know that's the way to win him over and richard's struggles would only follow him wherever he went so Mm -hmm. like this kid just had a a string of bad luck and i don't know if it's just bad luck or i think maybe he was just a very negative 
person because of his upbringing because he just didn't have any friends. He had mm-hmm. no friends. Mm-hmm. Even if he did have friends, they were always the bad type of friends right. to have. Yeah. The crowds that he hung out with were the ones that were drinking and taking drugs, and he was doing all of mm-hmm. it. And he also started carrying around weapons, and his favorite was a switchblade. Oh. You know, those switchblades you can open up. Like, do like oh, a yeah. Punch. It's an, like an intimidation thing, too. Like, yeah. you want to fuck with me? It's the 1950s. Think about it. Yeah. You know, Richard had like that slick back blonde hair. Well, I was thinking of the Fonz. Yeah. <laughs> From Happy Days. He had a tattoo on his arm and it read, Born to Raise Hell. Yep. Now, a little bit of backstory about this tattoo. The tattoo was about his birthday. So the day after he was born was the day of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, okay. And Richard stated, the day I was born, all hell broke loose and it hasn't stopped since. Mm. So that's what that means. Mm. From 1960 to 1963, he would work as a laborer for the 7-Up Bottling Company in Dallas. Mm -hmm. In October 1961, he met a young 15-year-old girl. Her name was Shirley Antoinette Malone. Richard was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. She was 15. And three weeks later, Shirley got pregnant. (laughs) Sounds familiar. With Shirley being so young and innocent and her getting pregnant, he decided to do what he thought his mother would want him to do. Mm -hmm. They got married on January 19th, 1962. Robbie Lynn Speck would be born on July 5th, 1962. But Richard's demons started bubbling up after she gave birth. Let's just say he wasn't there when she gave birth, okay? Because, no, because he was arrested and he was serving a 22-day sentence for disturbing the peace due to a drunken oh, fight geez. one night at a bar and then his wife goes into labor he's in jail she gives yeah, birth so i feel bad for shirley oh, she's great. very young great. yeah after this they had a rocky relationship obviously if i was shirley i'd be pissed mm-hmm. richard would even take his paycheck and then blow it on drugs alcohol and sex workers oh no and then he would go home broke his whole point of view on women sank you were either pure as the driven snow or tainted and going to ah. hell No in between. It was black or white. He even thought that Shirley was cheating on him at one point, but she was faithful. He continued with his sex workers and prostitutes. And just Mm -hmm. to piss her off, because he had a nasty streak, he actually would hire prostitutes to drive by his house, park outside, and then on the hood of his car, he would perform lewd acts on them in front of her. While she was in the house with the baby, just to piss her off. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Shirley began to fear him also. She claims Mm -hmm. he would rape her at knife point up to five times a day. Oh my goodness. In July of 1963, at the age of 21, he was sentenced to a three-year term in prison after being convicted of forgery. He also robbed a grocery store for cigarettes and beer and like $3 in cash. And you have to keep Mm -hmm. on remembering it's 1963, so. Yeah, I was going to say money time converter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He would only serve 16 months of the sentence his freedom was short-lived because the week he got out he got arrested but back in jail and this was because he attacked a woman in a parking lot of her apartment building with a seven inch Mm -hmm. carving knife well i mean that's a natural progression right the sad part about the story this could have been prevented in so many ways because he had Mm -hmm. a he had so many arrests that i don't think it It would necessarily happen today where he would be released so easily on the other convictions. Like, I think they probably would keep Mm -hmm. him longer. Yeah. Well, and now there's there's easier access to past history of crimes, Mm -hmm. too. Like, and, you know, that would kind of come into play maybe, too, for convictions. I I don't know. But it was this is it was all done in the same area. So you would think the same police department would have 
He probably would have been a common name in the department. We're like, oh, there's that spec <laughs> guy again. <laughs> His crime against this woman in the parking lot reminded me a little bit of Kitty Genovese, the story you did, because okay. while he was attacking her, she managed to scream so loud that she intimidated him and he ran off. Oh, okay. But police tracked him down a few blocks away, so he didn't even leave the scene of the crime. So it's kind of reminiscent mm-hmm. to what Kitty went through, because initially she scared mm-hmm. him away and then he came back. I don't know if Richard was doing the same thing where he was kind of waiting for it to mull down and go back, but police showed up and they were looking for him. He was convicted of aggravated assault and he was sentenced to 16 months. However, due to an error, he was released in just six months. (sighs) Yeah. After this, he worked for the Patterson Meat Company as a driver, but he kept on crashing the truck and not showing up for work, so he got fired. Mm -hmm. In January of 1966, Richard's wife would file for divorce and get full custody, thank the Lord. Mm -hmm. While he was going through his divorce, he actually moved in with another woman, a 29-year-old professional wrestler. Oh, in the 60s? A female professional? Uh Oh, okay. Yeah. He met her at his favorite bar called Jimmy's Lounge, Mm -hmm. where she was a bartender, and he would see her there when she was working. And she hired him to babysit her three kids. I would love to know what happened there. I don't know. His behavior is so problematic at this point. It gets worse and it gets Mm -hmm. worse. Not long after this, Richard would stab a man in a knife fight at Jimmy's Lounge. Mm -hmm. He was charged with aggravated assault, but his mother got the charge reduced because she hired a pretty good attorney Mm -hmm. and he was able to change it to just disturbing the peace i mean never mind he was already convicted of aggravated assault right with a 17 inch knife yeah Yeah. and mom would often bail him out Mm. on march 5th 1966 he robbed a grocery store stealing 70 cartons of cigarettes the police sent out a warrant for his arrest but he skipped out of town before they can get him. This would have been his 42nd arrest. Wow. That's a That's lot. That's a lot. He ended up making his way back to his childhood home in Monmouth, Illinois. On April 2nd, Richard would be caught red-handed as he was robbing a home of a 65-year-old woman named Miss Virgil Harris. Mm-hmm. It was at 1 a.m. and she was just returning home from a babysitting job. Richard was waiting inside her home with the knife. creepy. Yeah. And she's 65 years old. Yeah. He tied her up and then he raped her. He ransacked her house. She was obviously targeted. Yeah. Like if he was already inside waiting for her, he had been doing Mm -hmm. some scoping. Yeah. And you know what? After doing this story, I have to admit, because I finished the story up like at one o'clock in the morning, I was looking over my shoulder in my house Ah! because he's just so creepy. Yeah. But before he left, he ransacked the house and he stole $2.50. It's actually the money she made from her babysitting job. Hmm. But he did leave her alive. The woman described her attacker as a six foot tall man, white male, uh, with a southern draw. But before they were able to find him, he skipped town again. Mm -hmm. A week later, Mary Kathleen Pierce, 32, was last seen leaving the bar that she worked at around 12.20 a.m. And this was on April 9th. On April 13th, she was officially reported missing and her body was found that day behind the bar that she worked at. Oh, so she wasn't far. No, she was still at work, technically. She died from a severe blow to her stomach, which <gasps> ruptured her liver. That had to have been painful. I mean, it's not. How hard do you have to hit somebody? That's not instant. That is definite. She would have <sighs> felt every single pain up until passing. Yeah. Like, that, wow. is, that is not a very uh, quick death. Police knew that Richard was in the area and they showed up to question him. But guess what? 
He skipped town. Of course. Police decided to search the hotel room that he was staying. They found jewelry that belonged to the 65-year-old Miss Virgil Harris, as well as items reported missing in a few other local burglaries. Mm -hmm. On April 19th, 1966, Richard went to stay at his sister. So when this was all happening, Richard was also like staying ahead of the police. And he had a story. He said that, well, Martha, listen, the mafia is after me. They want me to work for them. They want me to um, sell drugs for them. But I told them no. I, mommy raised a good boy. I told them no. So and now they're after me. Now they're after me. So I need to stay with you. And they were just like, yeah, sure. You know, you could stay with us for a little bit. His brother-in-law, however, said, well, you can't just stay here. You have to work mm-hmm. too. No freeloading. He got him a job on a freight ship. Mm-hmm. But his first time at sea, he was actually found on the ship, like buckled over in pain. And this would totally be me because I don't know how. <laughs> (laughs) people can be on a ship that long and not get sick but he was buckled down in pain and he was holding his stomach he actually had to be airlifted from a helicopter to the saint joseph's hospital Mm -hmm. and he was diagnosed with appendicitis according to the doctor another hour or so this man probably Mm -hmm. be dead from rupture oh it would have ruptured so it didn't rupture so he had yeah Yeah, so yay they saved him Mm, yeah. Natural selection, not yet. He recovered and he would return to work, but he would continue to get into trouble. And on several occasions on the ship, he would get belligerent. He would get super drunk. Mm-hmm. He would start taking drugs and taking pills. He would cause fights on the ship. And then he started exposing himself to crew members like... Other men? Yeah. Oh, oh this comes into play later. But oh. okay. yeah, he would get fired. He was broke. Now he had no job. When he had the appendicitis, he also befriended somebody. He befriended a 28-year-old nurse. Her Mm -hmm. name was Judy Lachmini. Mm -hmm. Richard was extremely kind to her and would take her out to nice dinners. And they would, you know, just spend some time together. She swears up and down during testimony that he was like the nicest guy in the world. Mm. She's like, you know, I never had a problem with him. I think he treated her like his mother because he viewed her as, you know, she was the nurse in charge when he was sick. Mm -hmm. So maybe as like a caregiver. She's an angel. So Judy felt bad for him after he got fired and she gave him $80 just for, you know, like till he found his next job. And remember, he was still kind of staying with the sister. July 11th, the sister stated and the husband was like, listen, dude, you overstayed your welcome. You're not working right now and you're just sitting on the Mm -hmm. couch getting drunk and you just can't stay here. They had their own children to worry about. Right. Yeah. Brother-in-law drove him to the hiring hall to find work. The hiring hall was like a a union organized. Like a day labor? You would write your name down, say that I'm looking for this type of work, and they would assign you work. It wasn't like a first come, first serve. Like they protected the people on the list. Like a union. Like, you know, you're you're part of us. At that point, his brother also took him to the local like hotel where he can get Mm -hmm. like a room to stay. And the hotel gave the people that were at the hiring hall a fixed rate so he can have a room for 20 bucks or less than yeah the next day he was assigned on another ship called the clarence b randall it does say (laughs) that okay so just so you know we spoke to lorraine the person the chatter that um that gave us this story to do and she mentioned the clarence b randall yeah back to the story (laughs) it was good that he got this job because he was running out of uh, money to pay for the room Mm -hmm. i guess the job or the ship didn't leave yet so it was still in port Mm -hmm. and they don't get paid until the ship leaves like they need to be on the ship you know and and that's when i guess the clock ticks sure his sister picked him up and gave him 25 bucks to help him out and 
you know, during her visit with them, they took like a drive around the neighborhood, just, just talking. When she was driving, she actually parked the car at East 100th Street, which is across the street from some townhouses where nursing students were living. Yes. Yeah. After their chat, she drove him back to the hotel room and then she left. Mm -hmm. Richard decided to take the $25 that his sister gave him to pay for the room for the following week Mm -hmm. to a nearby bar. Mm. At the bar, there was a woman he was staring at. The woman was 53-year-old Ella May Hooper. She felt uneasy that this man was sitting at the bar just leering at her. Mm -hmm. She ended up leaving and walking to another bar and Richard followed her to the next bar. Mm. She went to another bar and Richard Mm -hmm. followed her to that bar. So now Mm. Ella is like, okay, this man is following me. She ended up leaving the third bar and started hightailing it home. But Richard saw his chance and he approached her. And by knife point, he took her to his room where he raped her and stole a black 22 caliber pistol. Why didn't you take the gun out? Thank you. That confused me. I'm like, wait a minute. She was armed the entire time. And she's afraid. Yeah. I would be like, even if you're walking from bar to bar, even if you're like trying to get out of the area, hands in the purse, right? you know, fingers on the trigger, ready to go. Like, yeah. uh-uh. Hell no. I'm getting a visual. So this area I'm thinking is by the port right? Mm -hmm. Probably have local bars, local places to eat. Sure. A lot of these people are coming off of the boat and they want a drink. They want to warm up. They want to get some food in Mm -hmm. their system, maybe hook up. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking that's kind of the vibe. So it's understandable that Ella would be carrying a pistol. Right, right. But once again, like this is the area that she's bar hopping in. Yeah, you whip that sucker out and Mm -hmm. defend yourself. I mean, it's if he doesn't know... Maybe, like, how did he even know she had one? Unless he He was robbing her. Right. Okay. Because I'm thinking, like, if he didn't know that she had it, sure, she could comply with him. But she knows all all the while that she has this. Yeah. Given any opportunity, you know, you would comply up to a certain point. Mm Mm-hmm. And then... Right, exactly. Pew, pew. Pew, pew. (laughs) Bang, bang. I guess he overpowered her and he had the knife to her throat and the bar was close enough to his room that he was able just to bring her back to the room without anybody else noticing. So, Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. After this, he decided to dress himself up all in black, armed with his witchblade knife Mm -hmm. and his newly acquired pistol. He decided to go out for a couple of drinks And ironically, (laughs) this is that moment. Okay, chatters. We interviewed Lorraine Campbell about this. And this is the moment that Lorraine Campbell stated her dad was actually also employed on the same ship that Richard Speck was employed. Mm -hmm. This night, the workers from the ship were at the bar. Mm -hmm. So there was like a group of them that were going to get a couple of drinks. And Richard was one of the people that usually would stop by the bar so they kind of were i don't know if they were expecting him but he was invited like a group of guys like everybody we're all gonna go to this and buy for drinks and whatever and relax so lorraine's father was at that bar but Mm -hmm. richard did not go to the bar with the guys richard decided to go out by himself and Uh get to another bar and get drunk all on his own right richard left the bar and on the evening of july 13th 1966, at 10.20, he started walking back to the nearby nursing townhouse Mm -hmm. at 2319 East 100th Street. Hmm. The complex functioned 
as a dorm house for nine nursing students that attended the South Chicago Community Hospital. When Richard got to the complex, it was about like 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. He went to the back of the building. He used his switchblade knife to pry open one of the window screens and Mm. he crawled inside. Mm. He quietly went up the stairs, the top floor where all the bedrooms were at. Instead of barging into one of these rooms, Richard decided just to knock. Mm -hmm. So first door, first bedroom, he knocks on it. The door opened and a 23-year-old Filipino exchange student by the name of Corzano Armano found herself staring down the barrel of a 22 caliber Mm -hmm. pistol pointed at her face. She froze in fear. She had no other choice but to comply with Richard's demands. Mm -hmm. He was going to use her to gather up all the other housemates. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what he did. One by one, they woke five other nursing students. The five women were Matilda Guerrillo, 23, Valentina Passion, 23, Patricia Malisic, 20, Pamela Wilkening, 20, Nina Chamel, 24. So those are the five that were in the house in their beds. Mm -hmm. He brought them one by one to the largest room in the house, which was like the living area. Then he would tie them up and he tied up like their hands. He would bound behind their backs and then he would tie their ankles together. Okay. So one by one, he would bring them to this common area and tie, start tying them all together. But Corzano was... The bait, essentially. The bait. For for everyone. So scary. Mm -hmm. The women managed to keep calm, and they tried talking to Richard. These women are not stupid. They're trained to deal with trauma, or they're trained to deal with maybe a psychological issue. Mm -hmm. They're also trying to assess the situation. They're just like, okay, all right, everything's going to be all right. He had them all sitting on the floor. And then he went to go sit on the floor himself. And then he just started chatting with the girls. So there was no reason for the girls at that point to think that they were, he was going to do something bad. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they were thinking of him like he's having a really bad night and he wants to rob us. Let him rob us. We we just want him to move on, you know? Right. And and he also said it to them. He's like, listen, I don't want to hurt anybody. I just want some money to leave town. And he wanted to get on a ship to New Orleans. They absolutely, as a nurse, you absolutely go through training and classes dealing with patients that that go through trauma, that are having anxiety, sure. and, and how to keep them calm, and how to kind of like talk them through this. So he's dealing with five very educated people at that point that are all on the same page without saying that they're on the same page. Right. While they were sitting down calmly, and the door opens, and a, another housemate arrives home after her date. Mm. It was 22-year-old Gloria Jean. She was quickly captured by Robert and tied up with the rest. He crushed out a cigarette and one by one, bringing them to a bedroom, and his plan was to rape them. Mm-hmm. The first one was Pamela. Mm-hmm. However, it was quickly cut short. The front door opens. Mm-hmm. Two other women that lived at that house arrived home from their evening out. They walked past the room where Richard and Pamela were, and this is when all hell broke loose. And it was a literal bloodbath. Suzanne Farris, who was 21, and Marianne Jordan, who was 20, once they saw him on top of Pamela in this shocking way, you know, like you could tell Mm -hmm. like Pamela was not enjoying herself. They tried to run like they, they, I guess the, from the front door to that first bedroom, maybe, maybe there was like, I don't know, 15 Mm -hmm. feet. They did turn around and try to run out, but Richard got to them quick enough. He stabbed them over 20 times. Till they were dead. It was just a bloodbath at that point. 
He turned back to Pamela. He did not rape her, but he did murder her. Mm -hmm. And he stabbed her multiple times. He then washed his hands, cleaned himself, and he returned to the room where the rest of the women were. He took the next one into the same bedroom and stabbed her repeatedly. The women tied up could hear the muffled screams. Yep. Yep. He continued one by one over and over, and this lasted for four hours. Wow. Gloria Jean Davis was last. She was, unfortunately, the woman that Richard decided to rape, Mm -hmm. and he unleashed brutal hell on Gloria. He sexually brutalized her for an extended period of time before he strangled her to death and then stabbing her. Mm. After he had finished, Richard cleaned up, and then he left the house. He walked over to the nearby bridge. He tossed over his knife and then went back to his hotel. I guess he held onto his gun because he really didn't Mm -hmm. use it. This entire time, his clothes were dripping in blood. But remember, he wore all black. Mm -hmm. That was his plan, not to see the blood. Mm. He felt that he got away with perfect crime. But Richard overlooked one detail. During the night, Richard lost count of how many people were in the house. He left behind a witness. Mm -hmm. There was one woman who managed to slip out of his view, and that was Corzano, the woman who initially answered the knock on the door. Yeah. She was tied up with the rest of the people on the floor, but... When Richard Mm. turned his back, probably when he dragged Pamela into the room, she rolled underneath, they say a Mm. bed, but it was like, um, I think it was like a couch because they were in like the living room area. Maybe like one of those like old chase or like fainting couches is like what I'm picturing. Under the couch, she would wait and she would be listening to the horror he unleashed on her friends. Mm. She was expecting him to drag her out. From her hiding place. Like, she didn't think he didn't see her. Yeah. At one point during the night, she didn't hear any footsteps. She didn't hear any more screams. She didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. She stayed hidden under that bed till 6 a.m. frozen in fear. Well, finally at 6 when she got up, she managed to get herself to the nearest window and she began screaming mm-hmm. for help at the street below. Police arrived at the scene. Reports were all over the news mm-hmm. and a literal manhunt was on its way. This is how Richard found out that he was, that he left a survivor in the house, the news. Mm. He had no idea. So mm-hmm. he's like, oh shit, I, how did I miss that one? <laughs> I know. That's a big oops. He tried to leave Chicago as quickly as possible. And he made his way down to the Skid Row district of Chicago, where he booked mm-hmm. himself a 99 cent hotel room. Mm. Where the fuck are they today? Well, those are the, those are the ones we do by the hour that today oh yeah yeah, yeah. No, yeah no thank you no thank you he used a fake name he called himself r franklin well, well i mean then you didn't you didn't need ids either all you had to do was sign the ledger nope. he couldn't really exactly get out and move around because police were all over the city looking for mm-hmm. him on top of his description the the description from the witness they did find fingerprints at the scene and between the fingerprints and the witness description that led the police directly to richard's okay. back Three days later, he got drunk and tried to commit suicide in his hotel by slicing his wrists. A hotel handyman found him unconscious as lying on the floor, and he called 911, and he was rushed to the hospital Mm -hmm. where they managed to save his life yet again. Mm. Dr. Leroy Smith recognized the tattoo, born to raise hell. Mm. He called the police and he was arrested. Before his trial, he was analyzed by like a panel of psychiatrists Mm -hmm. chosen by the defense and prosecution, mm-hmm. and they would all find him competent to stand trial. Mm-hmm. So yay. yay. Good. Trial started on April 3rd, 1967. Richard claimed that he had no recollection of the murders. He recalled drinking until about 8 p.m. when he was given an injection of speed by a stranger at the bar. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
<laughs> no. It wasn't me. It was the one armed man. But the whole time, he never denied the murders. Yeah. He just said, "I don't remember. I, I have no idea. I was injected. I was, you know, yeah. whatever." But I, but he never denied that he actually killed somebody. Hmm. He stated, "If I am accused of it, I don't remember it." Mm-hmm. The living victim would testify in court about that night. She actually identified him while good, on the stand. Good. Like she was just like, "He did it." Yep. That's him. Along with her testimony and the fingerprints, the jury took 45 minutes to deliberate and came back with a guilty mm. verdict. Richard was given the death penalty. Good. However, mm. huh. no. it was uh, changed to life in 1971 mm-hmm. when the Supreme Court ruled that people opposed to the death mm-hmm. penalty were unconstitutionally excluded from the jury. It was during that that window in the early right. 70s where they didn't have anybody on that jury saying mm-hmm. I don't believe in the death penalty like you kind of needed that fair so he got life yeah. in prison he served out his sentence in the Stateville Correctional Center in Illinois this is where things take a weird turn cat mm-hmm. you ready yes <laughs> He frequently was found in his cell with, like, drugs or moonshine. Like, he mm-hmm. he obviously had connections. Sure. Okay. He was given the name Birdman because he also captured a few sparrows that flew in into his window in the mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. They, they were his pets now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amongst the drugs that were found, so that were smuggled in for him, were some unknown hormone therapy drugs. Richard began growing breasts. Breastuses. Breasticles. Mm -hmm. While he was in prison. Wow. A very bizarre video, like a bizarre sex tape uh, that was recorded in 1988 was leaked from the prison Uh in 1996 by an anonymous attorney. (laughs) The video showed Richard wearing panties, like silk panties. Mm -hmm. He was topless and he was kind of like bouncing his big boobs and then performing oral sex on other inmates. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with that, Mm-mm. but I guess where it would come into breaking the law is the whole performing oral sex. Why the fuck would it be videotaped anyways? Y'all put your phones away. He didn't know it was videotaped. Oh. Let's just put it this way. Richard had no idea this video was being, somebody was filming this video. And it was another inmate that was filming the video. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that was videotaping asked him questions like what are you doing Richard what, what's going on Richard and then oh, he said something like hey what do you want to say to uh, the police who stated and I quote if they only knew how much fun I was having they turned me loose end quote just from the comment that you said earlier too when he was exposing himself to other men on the one ship like I mean if he had homosexual tendencies of course it was looked at differently back Mm -hmm. then or maybe he was bisexual because he was married you know he did rape women and i don't think there was any male rapes in there it doesn't sound like but i'm just what like it's it's nothing that he ever came out and said like i am bisexual or like i am homosexual and not that i mean not 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 being judgy about it but it's like a i wouldn't even insult bisexual or homosexual people by putting richard in their like sphere or a club i i feel richard was broken a long time ago and you we don't know if the stepfather Mm -hmm. ever did anything to him Mm -hmm. we just know they hated each other yeah we know that richard had a very unhealthy relationship with his stepfather maybe a loveless relationship with his mother but he respected and loved his mother but she she didn't give him the love that he that he desired the affection the affection so it manifested in him 
to where there was always a victim sexually. Mm -hmm. If you notice in every sexual encounter with Richard, Mm -hmm. there was always a victim. Mm -hmm. Before he was in, before he went to prison, he had his victims. Mm -hmm. But in prison, it kind of flipped on him. And he was the victim. Oh, I see. But there was always, there's always, there always seems to be a victim. And I think that's the way in, he doesn't, you could tell this man has no idea of what love is. Yeah. So what did he do? He almost turned himself into the, one of the women Mm -hmm. that he victimized. There's always got that, like, that's what gets him off. Well, it's just the comment of if, if they only knew how much fun I was having, you know, they wouldn't let me be here. He may have had gay tendencies earlier on that were really snuffed out because his mother was super religious. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why he needed to be coddled when he was young was because nobody understood him and he was really, really struggling. Yeah. But it manifested into something very, very dark. Right. But yeah, so... Yeah. The, the voice behind the camera it, during this video was another inmate, and Richard did not know he was being filmed. Mm-hmm. And he asked, Richard, why did you kill all those women? And he responded, quote, it just wasn't their night, end quote. Mm. In this video, this is the only time that he ever admitted to killing the women, and they had the recording, and I think that's why the attorney leaked it. So I'm wondering if that was a planted, um, like, inmate, or like a, obviously he was used as a, like as a rat or, you know, providing information for... Maybe. I'm just... Yeah. I'm wondering if it was planted, like, I don't know. It just seems like there's there's a little bit more to that part. Yeah, definitely. The, this, this man is so fucked up. Yeah. He's so messed up. So Richard Speck would eventually die on December 5th, 1991. He was 49 years old. Mm. He died from a sudden heart attack, just like his dad. Mm-hmm. He spent 25 years behind bars. He was cremated and nobody wanted his ashes. Sure. Not one person, not a family, not a friend. Well, he didn't have any friends, but nobody wanted it. Nobody gave a shit about him. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there are only two individuals that know exactly where his remains are. And that's the the one of the police officers and the, the attorney. And they're not talking. Hmm. And like I said, Lorraine Campbell, uh, our chatter that requested the story, she remembered growing up seeing this crime play out on the news. Her dad also remembered, I guess, like him somehow being affiliated with like the ship that he was working on. Yeah. So it's pretty scary how close like her dad was that close to danger. Yeah. Yeah. Very eerie. So yeah. So that's my story. Richard Speck. That's a great story, Loreen. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Love it. Man, rest in hell, Richard. That's what Rest he's in a, hell. Yeah. You know, horrible human being. Horrible. Yes. I mean, yes. Uh, granted, some people, and uh, maybe just not knowing any better, but has, as how strict his mother was, he definitely knew right from wrong. And if he was even, you know, he was deemed sane to, you know, mentally fit for trial. Right. So he knew right from wrong. Yeah. yeah. And just cho- chose to do these things anyway. Yeah. Bastard. Well, because we don't leave you hanging chatters for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat, only available on our Patreon. Yes. I'll, I'm going to list that article, too, that had mm. all those criminals with, like, their known tattoos and stuff. Yes. And I was surprised yes. that Richard Speck wasn't on there, but... <laughs> Don't forget to follow us, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and X. See what we got going on. Remember, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat, when you become a VIP chatter like Lorene, mm-hmm. okay, on our Patreon, 
You will have access to bonus episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and free merch. Check out some merch in the works. And also, come on with these chatter requests. Yes, Hello. yes. These are freaking good. Bring them on. Be sure mm-hmm. to check out our next episode. It's not mm-hmm. a chatter request. It's a it's a cal. I would say gal's pick. <laughs> gal's pick. No, it's a it's a cat selection. Um, I'm gonna cover Phil Spector. Yes, I don't know anything technically about what he did. I know nothing, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to research it. So you do not <laughs> want to miss it. I will be here. Make sure you're here. We'll see you on the next Crime Chat. Bye. Bye.